Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Influence on your money with Money FM 89.3. He is one of the most inspiring voices in public policy, a passionate champion for diversity and the need for financing for continued representation in a more equitable world. Welcome to Influence. I'm Michelle Martin. Today, sitting across Curtis Chin, chair of Milken Institute's operations in Asia. He's walked quite the path, quite a storied career. For eight years, he was the inaugural Milken Institute Asia Fellow. He is the former U.S. ambassador to the Asian Development Bank and provides counsel to governments, businesses and impact investors on a range of issues. We're going to talk about his thoughts on markets and ESG. Welcome, Curtis Chin, to Influence. How are you this morning? Great to be here. Just landed actually back in Singapore. So it's so wonderful to be here. Welcome. Well, Thank Always you a much. joy to see you. Listen, you made your mark in the world of diplomacy, in the world of finance. I'm going to start with what is it that keeps you up at night, Curtis? Well, one... I hope to make my impact right here on radio. Uh, but, you know, uh, for me, you know, as I think about all these things I, I've done, I'm always trying to get people to think a little bit differently, you know, maybe open their eyes uh, to what is out there. So whether it's talking to people about Asia and the U.S. or in U.S. about uh, – or Asia, vice versa, I really would like people to think a little bit differently. And so even here with, you know, so Singapore is so amazing. But again, you know, in the United States, people have so many stereotypes, good and bad about a Singapore and I always like you know I've been blessed to be able to come back and forth to Singapore but not everyone can mm. so my hope is that discussions like this you know they go up online later that maybe people think well yes one day I can come to Singapore but until then let me read a little bit more let me hear a little bit more about that place I hear is so amazing all right, let's get your thoughts on thinking differently, perhaps, when it comes to markets. We're going to get to know your unique journey uh, on the theme of influence in just a while. But I have to talk to you about news that markets have been talking about, the Fitch ratings downgrade mm. of uh, U.S. government debt from AAA to AA+. Uh, economists that we've talked to say there's nothing to worry about, unlike back in 2011. Uh, so Fitch's downgrade was spurred by Congress's fight to raise the debt ceiling uh, to avoid a government debt default, an agreement that had been struck four days before we saw the downgrade. So what are your thoughts on the downgrade? Why now in terms of timing? You know, that's the key question. Why now? But I think at the end of the day, there is an important message, whether it's S&P before Fitch or who knows Moody's one day. United States, get your act together. Right. And so we really need to think about why, whether it's the timing is now or future or past, but why are these things happening? And it's really, you know, all about politics, you know, how sad that politics keep our nation, the United States, from addressing some critical issues like the amount of debt that continues to pile up. Um, and so really, I think hopefully it's a message also, not just to the markets, but it's a message to our politicians who are at the heart of what should be the solution of moving our nation forward. So our headlines are dominated daily by news of U.S.-China tensions. Uh, just yesterday, Deputy Prime Minister Lawrence Wong here in Singapore warned that we need to be, quote, prepared for the unpredictable. Mm. Uh, amid strained relations between U.S. and China, he said the possibility of accidents and miscalculations are rising, in particular when it comes to geopolitical hotspots like the Taiwan Straits and South China Sea uh, primacy. Curtis, do you share concern that a miscalculation could lead to military conflict between the U.S. and China? You know, that is always a concern that really I and others had if you just look at history. Um, but more broadly, I'm concerned when countries don't talk to each other. Um, and here the burden is on both sides. You know, clearly the United States has sent a bunch of people uh, to China. But I was struck by someone uh, pointed out that Xi Jinping has really 
not really left his country, that few Chinese diplomats are really engaging externally. So hopefully that changes. You know, there's a tremendous opportunity coming up with the, the APEC summit in uh, November in San Francisco. Um, so that, for me, the engagement is so important. And my hope is that, you know, China, Singapore, Japan, all these uh, great nations can think about how do we really continue dialogue even when there are truly fundamental disagreements on so many things. Let's keep talking. So, Curtis, you've served as U.S. Ambassador to the Asian Development Bank, and you've sat on boards of nonprofit organizations that focus on education and humanitarian projects. You're also a strong proponent of social entrepreneurship. I want to ask you about the Sustainable Development Goals, uh, the U.N. program to end poverty and address environmental issues by 2030. We're halfway to that mark, but many of the goals appear to be out of sight. So UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres says the world is woefully off track. Mm. And next month, we know world leaders will gather at the UN for a, a summit, an SDG summit. What needs to change in order for the SDGs to become more than just aspirational targets. Uh, you know, uh, such an important point. And the reality is the UN alone cannot address it. And so I think a core message that I often share with people based on my own experiences in the public sector, private sector, nonprofit sector, is that we need to involve all the sectors. To, and so here I underscore the role of private sector, of private capital. I, I think too often people think, well, government needs to do this or government needs to mandate that. But we don't recognize the power of business and how to we incentivize business to be engaged and involved uh, in moving some of these goals uh, or moving forward to achieve some of these goals. You you think about all the different goals, you know, I think it's the last SDG. It's really all about partnership. You know, too often we're focused on goals on like life in the ocean, life on earth, all amazing things. But I think at the heart of all this, we need better partnership between government and business and civil society. Better partnerships. Just amazing. What would you tell young listeners in particular who are impatient for change? Well, I think they can be part of the change in their own behavior. And really, you know, I, I, I feel so old all the time when I'm talking to some of my young colleagues because they really are the influencers. You know, they're mastering social <laughs> media. They're all over the place. But think about how you can use that for positivity. You know, earlier we even talked about what U.S.-China. Too often I find that too often countries are quick to criticize China or the U.S. Mm. Um, but what are the positive things that a China or the U.S. can do and offer up something to people? So don't just go criticize others. Tell me why I want to partner with you government person or business person or civil society person. And I think young people, because maybe they're not so jaded like me, you're still young, Michelle, uh, <laughs> but people like me, it's like, oh my God, I'm so cynical. But the reality, young people with their ideals, let's move on some of them and hopefully do it in a constructive way that brings people together, doesn't just tear people down on social media. You know, you can feel the charisma in this room, I have to say. Nah, that's from you, not from me. No, no, that's from me. This program <laughs> is titled Influence and we invite very successful individuals like you to share a little bit of your personal journey. Uh, help us understand what has been key to becoming the influential person that you are. Well, to be honest, I'm not so sure I'm so influential. Uh, <laughs> but I was pleased when someone said to me, oh, you know that book you posted about? I actually bought it. So I thought, oh my God, I drove $22 to purchase. Wow, that's real <laughs> influence. Um, but you know, my background, you know, uh, um, 
unless you're watching us on Facebook, you really can't see me, but I'm clearly Asian-American. And really, my life has been back and forth between the United States and Asia. Uh, I'm what's called in the U.S. slang is like an army brat, meaning my father was career military. So I grew up throughout Asia, Thailand, Taiwan, Korea. Mm. And then my business career uh, was in Beijing, in Switzerland, in Hong Kong, in New York and Washington. And then very blessed to be in government based in the uh, Philippines. And now with this nonprofit, the Milken Institute and some entrepreneurial things back in Bangkok where I was a kid and also in Singapore. So it's been a life of going back and forth. Um, and so my parents would always say, you know, can you just pick one place and settle down? Uh, <laughs> but my hope is that whether you're a diplomatic kid or army brat or you're mom or dad's, you know, business person that travels around, that we can think through how do we increase that partnership and engagement, but in, with people with totally different backgrounds. Um, and for me, that's so critical if we're going to move things uh, forward. Yeah, you lived in the Philippines for part of your career. Oh, I love the Philippines, right? Yeah. Uh, that's uh, Sadly for me right now, that's the one country I haven't been back to since the pandemic began. But indeed, I continue to serve uh, on a board of a, a group uh, called Community and Family Service International. Just won the Rambo Magsaysay Award last year, and they really are in that space of displaced peoples. So whether it's armed conflict or a typhoon, how do we help people rebuild their lives? And for me, what's cool about that group is that although it was founded in the Philippines, it operates in Myanmar and Vietnam. And for me, that's a great example, too, of Asian uh, organizations and institutions that operate beyond their own country. Uh, and I think that's so critical, too. When we talk about young people and careers, they're like, oh, I work in my country or I want to go to Europe or the U.S. But there are actually amazing Asian-based institutions for profit and not for profit that give you opportunities to experience and help this region. For me, that's a terrific thing. Anyone who's been part of the Milken Institute's events, I think, note the programming and can see how passionate you are about diversity and representation in the programming. And you said part of my goals is to get Americans to think more broadly. Uh, what of your own journey has led you to be such an advocate for diversity? I don't know. That's a great question. You know, for me, when I think about, I never think about being Asian or Asian American. I'm me, right? During the heart of the pandemic, I moved back from Asia to the United States, mm. where I think people saw all these terrible stories about anti-Asian hate. You know, I was never like beaten up physically, but it was on my mind. Uh, that if I was taking the subway in New York or walking, I had to be on guard. You know, is it going to be a random crime that happens to me? And so I began to write more and speak more about this issue of representation, Asian representation in media, uh, you know, on the news um, to help people, again, move beyond stereotypes of what an Asian is or, or is not. And, you know, I wrote one piece, which kind of cool when we talk about media, mm. became, I think, for one week, the most engaged piece for the Nikkei, the Nikkei Asian Review. And it was about why Stop Asian Hate has relevance also in Asia. Because I felt, oh, everyone's like, oh, look how bad America is. They're beating up Asians. And I said, you're right. America, again, needs to get its act together. But I say, if you live in a Singapore or if you live in a Hong Kong or a Manila or Thailand, let us not forget that even here in Asia, we have our own stereotypes about fellow Asians, whether they're domestic workers or they're migrants who are doing X, Y, or Z. And I hope that it's also a moment where Asians, we in Singapore or elsewhere in the region, can also think about how we treat and how we stereotype our fellow Asians. And so that's also about representation. If people knew individuals as more than the stereotype of that's 
my housekeeper or that's my nurse. I think we can move things forward. So it's also not just a message for my fellow Americans, my fellow people who live in Singapore or back, you know, in Manila or Bangkok or wherever. Let's also think about these issues of hate and stereotypes and let's move beyond them. And that's where representation is so key. Because if you don't have them as a friend, at least maybe you can see members of a certain group or religion or gender and understand there's diversity within everything. Have you got a book out yet? Um, I do have a book out. <laughs> but unfortunately, it's not about this. It's like a book on how to get into business school in Japan. Uh, <laughs> really? What is it called? That, but uh, <laughs> writing your way into business school. Right? Wow. But, uh, but for me, that's where I try and, if I can, write something once, uh, you know, once a month on some of these issues. Because sadly, the reality is that people don't read books. Do you and, read? Are uh, you a reader? Ah, I love books. And so it's so funny on, uh, I still say Twitter, but on X, <laughs> you know, I made up the Kurdish Chin Film Fest, hashtag Kurdish Chin Film Fest. I made up hashtag Kurdish Chin Book Club. So I'm just <laughs> tweeting about books and films. And that's where I love it when people say, oh, I watched that because of you. Oh. Right? Because I think if we are going to have influence, sometimes it's one person at a time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That the, read this uh, or read that. You know, the last book I, I read was written by a friend of mine called How to Survive a Dictator. By a woman named Maria Ressa, who won the Nobel Peace Prize. Noted Um, journalist. And, you know, it's interesting when you think about, you know, do you read fiction or nonfiction? That was uh, clearly nonfiction. Um, But I hope that people also take time to read. And if you don't, at least, you know, read an essay. Read an article or at least listen to the radio. Hey, love that. Uh, And podcasts are so key, right? Uh, So for me, uh, we need to think about audiences. What are the media Mm. that people actually watch, read, listen to? Mm -hmm. Because we got to figure out a way to deliver some of these messages in different ways for different people. That's about influence too. So I wanted to talk about reading because Michael Milken, who I'm sure you work with closely, mm. has a new book out about speeding up research for the uh, evolution of medicine. And it's part memoir and part really an update on a course that he's worked on for a lifetime. Um, what do you think of the book, Faster Cures? Well, one, I loved it. And actually, I've written a bunch of essays about this book, Faster Cures. Uh, it's funny because we actually, within the Milken Institute umbrella, have a terrific center. Like I'm with the Asia Center here in Singapore. We have a terrific center out of Washington called Faster Cures. You know, how do we speed uh, uh, cures, drugs to help people? And, you know, you know, I think I stole this from Michael Milken, who I wish I could spend more time with. Uh, but I stole this line about, you know, everyone could use a faster cure. You know, whether it's just the common cold or serious, you know, the fight against cancer. And it really is an amazing uh, book. And actually, someone said to me, I read that book because of you. Uh, and actually, my dad, who's 94, hello, dad, is reading the book. Mike Milken actually signed it for him. And it's so funny because I don't think my dad ever reads books. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, when I drop off the grandkids, I read, you know, eight more pages. So uh, for me, how cool. But it really is a book about the power of bioscience, biotech, the transform uh, things. And I remember there's one line in this book by Mike Milken, you know, Faster Cures, uh, which talks about, you know, we can even begin to think about, you know, can we have almost like little robots in your bloodstream that will help clean out things? But so things that were once science fiction, there is steady progress towards it. And a key point that Michael Milken makes is that it's not just anymore like the old days. You think there's some amazing inventor sitting in a lab. It's also about strategies and teamworks to address some of these critical challenges. You know, the power of technology isn't just technology that's inventing things. It's the technology to analyze Mm -hmm. So, you know, hear all this good and bad about AI, Mm -hmm. but AI is helping us 
analyze tremendous amounts of data, uh, which hopefully will lead to faster cures for people. So I do recommend that book, which I'm sure it's on Amazon, uh, but Faster Cures by Michael Milken. Uh, but for me, it's just one more example of the things that people can learn, whether it's reading a book or listening to a podcast. And I do encourage people to do that. You know, at the Milken Institute, mm-hmm. I think this year, I don't know, maybe there's 60 or 70 sessions, all the public sessions are live streamed. And so I'm always delighted when people take the time at some point, you know, I got you don't have to watch it live, uh, but I'd say at some point, watch the Michelle panel that you're doing <laughs> on like the future of tourism. As we rethink Singapore, as we rethink tourism out there, you know, some of these things, you know, you don't have to listen to right at that moment, but they're lessons learned to hopefully make people think, well, maybe I'm going to have a business in that area. Or yeah, maybe I need to go to Singapore because of that, not because of this. So for me, there's almost too much stuff out there, and that's part of the challenge. Uh, and so hopefully, you know, on this show and other guests, uh, you're influencing people by saying, well, pay attention to this or listen to this. And whether or not you agree, hopefully it makes you think a little bit from a different perspective. You're such a thinker, and thank you for plugging my event at Milka. <laughs> <laughs> and watch such it an online. an honor to be there. Uh, what are some of the highlights? Yeah, for me, it's funny. Over these, yeah, this is really the Milk Institute is celebrating 10 years here uh, in Singapore. So this is our 10th Asia Summit. Um, and for me, one of the, you know, well, we'll have, of course, you know, Lawrence Wong, all the high-flying uh, diplomats, Tomasig, you know, they're all will be there. We're so honored that they're there. But we have people flying in, you know, CEOs from all around the world. Uh, but for me, because I'm really not so serious, I love the L.A. razzle-dazzle part of the Milken Institute. Our headquarters is L.A. And I'm standing with the actors and writers who are on strike uh, mm. back in Hollywood. But I have, over the last, what, five or six Six years led a series of sessions, which I have nicknamed, they're all about the creative economy. So, you know, Asia's rise, whether it's being a kid here or my life at the Asian Development Bank, often we've seen economies grow um, by moving up uh, from like agriculture to beginning to manufacture things to really high value added. That progression, I remember like, I don't know, decades ago, we talked about the four tigers, the Taiwans, the Singapore's, they would be rising up. And so I say to countries, that as you think about building your economy, creating jobs, don't think just about, okay, yeah, you need to move your factory to my country. Mm-hmm. Uh, think also about, can we grow our creative economy? So that could be the power of intellectual property, whether it's film or music. Uh, and we've seen the powerhouse that Korea has become. So it's not just Samsung or LG. People are talking about, I don't know, crash landing on you, Squid Game, uh, the world of K-pop, BTS, you know, Blackpink. And so a highlight for me again, and it is that kind of continuation for me personally at the Milken Institute. So this year's session that I, I'm leading, I you know, can't tell you all of our secret guests yet, but some I will tell you. Uh, we have uh, Gunit Manga, who one of the very few Indians, not just being a woman, but Indians, uh, who've won an Oscar. Wow. Uh, so producer of, I think, the best short documentary. It was called The Elephant Whispers. Watch that. I'm trying to influence you. Watch that. It's, I'm sure it's on Netflix. Uh, <laughs> Elephant Whispers. She's flying in to talk about that. Uh, Adele Lim, a Originally from Malaysia. She might be an American now because she's based in uh, the U.S. But Adele uh, wrote the, the movie uh, Crazy Rich Asians. Uh, her new film, uh, she, uh, her directorial debut was called Joyride. Uh, she also was behind, uh, I think it's uh, what, Raya. Uh, it's Raya and the Last Dragon, uh, a film that was really one of the first big animated films set in Southeast Asia. Uh, so she's coming in too. Uh, so just the continuity of this message. Look at these great shining examples of really 
representation of the diversity that is Asia or Asian America uh, that's then leading to great content that goes on the screen and is watched not just by Asians, but it's watched by all kinds of uh, people. And for me, how cool that we at the Milk Institute can also spotlight that. Uh, because one issue that remains is how do we get financing for these great things? So one, I think maybe the most watched or second most watched panel from our global conference this past beginning of May was a session I led with a terrific actor, Daniel Day Kim, uh, Korean-American, uh, uh, Padma Lakshmi. She hosts uh, this great show uh, really on cooking, right? Uh, yeah. Top Chef. But now she's doing one really about, it's almost representation in cuisine uh, in America. Uh, buddy of mine, Eric Nam, who's like a K-pop American. And so we talked about, wow, I think you all are amazing. And they were joined not by talent before the screen, but by the head of the Motion Picture Academy, Janet Yang. Um, so the four of them, I thought, oh, wow, you all are so amazing. But they can't always get financing for their next project. Because, like, oh, yeah, we can only finance what you did before. But they want to do different things. They want to underscore that there's such a diversity to Asians in America or Asian Americans uh, and all. And so that, for me, will be one of the highlights of the session. But always, I'm also learning from the sessions on the more serious things like credit markets, like, you know, uh, uh, corporate social responsibility. Or now we talk about uh, uh, ESG environment, social governance standards and issues. So there'll be a diversity of programs that I'm excited about. And we'll probably have some surprise uh, people coming that we'll announce over the next couple weeks and the month to go before Asia Summit. You know, Singapore, for me, has come roaring back. And I'm so honored that part of Singapore's continued, you know, attraction to the world includes these great events. And you're actually looking, I'm kind of embarrassed to say, but it's kind of cool. I'm one of the new faces of a Singapore Tourism Board campaign. Oh, congratulations. Uh, I'm in a face... uh, as they're promoting Singapore as a hub for what we call MICE, so meetings, incentives, conferences, exhibitions, uh, and all, because how cool it is that Singapore is a true gathering place, uh, a true platform for people coming, sometimes with different views, that they can come together here and honor that Milken Institute is part of that here. You need your own radio station, Curtis. Ah, I don't know about that. But no, I need to have a co-host <laughs> like you so we can do this every week or so. It's uh, been such an honor getting to know you. Thank you for being here. Curtis Chin, Chair of Milken Institute's Operations in Asia. Thanks for being with us on Money FM. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.